Hello and welcome, my name is Cornelius McGrath and this is Tajinto, a space where game changers from all over the globe gather to have the conversations that truly matter. My guest on Tajinto today is none other than Eduardo Garcia, a first-class chef, entrepreneur and one of the world's biggest fighters. Eduardo's overcome more obstacles in life than most. In 2014, he suffered from a life-threatening electrical accident. After 48 days in the ICU and 21 surgeries, Eduardo lost his left hand and was later diagnosed with stage 2 testicular cancer. Eduardo survived and his road to recovery was documented in the film Charged. Released in September 2017, Charged received an immense critical acclaim, winning several major film festivals across the US. You have to watch it. I was introduced to Eduardo through a lifelong friend and mentor, Phil Clark. After an exhilarating year on the road that is Hollywood, Eduardo invited me out to his home in Montana so I could see him do what he does best, building his business Montana Max, spending time with his fiance Becca, and cooking world-class food. We recorded this episode in what Eduardo calls his dojo, his beautiful studio kitchen, with 360 degree views of Montana. We cover almost every topic under the sun. Family, business, finance, food, but more than anything, what it really means to have an appetite for life. Without further ado, here's Eduardo Garcia. Through my recent experience, whether it was my dad's death, whether it was an injury that cost me my hand, among other things, um, I don't know, man, I have a lot of faith. I have a lot of a lot of belief that what I'm doing is good work and that keeps me uplifted. Yeah. 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 So we're sat here um, in your beautiful kitchen. You know, we spent the last 24 hours here in Bozeman. Um, I'd love to talk about what it's been like building Montana Max here. Um, I'm sure you could have built it in a ton of places. Yeah. Obviously, you know, this is Montana, this is your home. Uh, it's not the place you read about every day. Uh, on the front of TechCrunch or the FT or the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. Could you give the audience and myself some background on what it means to build a business in Bozeman? Yes, yeah, so that's probably the worst possible place in the world to manufacture, to distribute from, guaranteed. Landlocked, it's upper northern latitude of the United States. It's got one east-west uh, interstate corridor. It's weather uh, prohibitive so many months out of the year, five, six months out of the year. Um, you know, and, and honestly, Montana Max may move. Like right now, our company is set up so that our managing team is situated in LA, in Dallas, in New Orleans. That's just where people work, but that's also where our distribution centers are, warehouses are, our manufacturing happens. So why, Mon why Montana? Why did it start here? Because that's where we lived, right? Um, I think it's been an enormous challenge. Um, and financially, flying, you know, how many, you know, flying to every, every meeting, because that's where the business is, has been super financially draining as well. Um, I think a large part about it is just this is home. So this is, and in, in, it's a part of Montana Mex that is a food-driven brand that is standalone and needs to be standalone, which we've talked about. Mm -hmm. But there's also a part of it where your the brand represents a way of life. And I believe that if I was to circle up with our co with all my 
co-founders, four of us, and say, what is Montana Max? Is that it's a clean label company that represents a um, more organic way of living or a way to eat that is free of preservatives, chemicals, additives, and sort of a better for you condiment company, right? Mm -hmm. Food service brand, food brand. And um, there's something about the lifestyle here that mimics that same message, which is sort of a nature-based way of life, you know, a company whereby we all love getting outside. We, you know, to have walking meetings, as you mentioned today, um, it's easy to do here. So there's something about the call of nature in Montana that I think fuels the DNA that is core to the business and something that we want to speak to, uh, to the, to our consumers for marketing yeah. and, um, you could run this business from anywhere, probably. Yeah. You know, it just so happens to be organically stemmed off of the place I call home. Yeah. Let's talk about this kitchen for a second. Yeah. A lot of time in here today. Uh, this was obviously newly built, correct? Yeah. Um, this is, from my 30,000 foot perspective, it was kind of morphed into being a competitive advantage for you um, and allowing you to do what you do, you know, from the retriever as Bozeman. Yeah. Uh, can you talk about the mission and, and how you use this space and and how it keeps you true to maybe that core of the entrepreneur that you keep referencing. Given that I'm a professional chef, the kitchen is my dojo, it's my studio, it's my office, it's where the inspiration for so many of these recipes was born and developed. And yeah, so it was a no brainer. It was like, all right, we'll pump. And I paid for it, the company didn't pay for it, but I paid for it out of pocket to say, all right, well, I'm gonna develop a kitchen that gives me you know, almost 180 degree views of the outside. So I can see the river, I can see the mountains, I can see the trees, I can see the deer and the elk and the abundant wildlife that is Montana. I can let Montana come in and be inspired by that. And then of course, design it from a, you know, like a professional perspective with um, the equipment, the accoutrement, the setup so that I could work as a chef and you know, obviously it's not a bad place to be when you turn the cameras off and you turn, close the books and you close the laptop and you're just hanging out with mates or friends or family yeah. cooking a meal together. You could pack 30 people in here and all be rolling pizza dough out and have a pizza party. And it's a great place for that too. Yeah. Let's talk about um, you as a chef, um, because I think um, having was charged myself may be easy to forget that, you know, you're actually a chef. Yeah. You know, we talked a lot about the film. Um, sure. And the grind behind that and what a raging success it was. Uh, but now you really have shifted your focus to mastering your craft and working on your game. Um, why has that been such a fulfilling shift, do you think? Well, I'll gently correct something you said only because it'll become the answer. So um, the mastering of the craft, that was when I was... 18, 19, 20 in culinary school, getting a degree. Okay. That was every day, 6.30 a.m. class, let out at 4.30. It was like 6.30 to 11.30 class, break, noon 30 to 4.30, second class, two classes a day. And then I'd go straight from 4.30 to start at a six o'clock uh, shift and I'd work till midnight. Like that was my day for two years, right? It was 6.30 to midnight every day, not including transit time, but it was 100% focused on food, methodology, I mean, if I didn't smell like garlic, I smelled like fish. If I didn't smell like fish, I smelled like beef. If I didn't smell like beef, I smelled like rosemary. Like it was, food was so in my 
veins truly like staining my hands that um it was the most amazing time of my life in regards to full immersed mastering a craft and learning you know um and so i ran with it i took that and then professionally chefed as a private i worked in restaurants for a few years um and then right after i graduated i worked as a chef for 10 years on in the yachting industry as a private chef and that was even more hardcore just food all the time um so then in 2011 when i left the yachting industry and with my partners started montana max and decided to go after a television series focused on my way of cooking and recreating and exploring as a hunter forager gatherer outdoor recreationist that was the beginning of a very big shift for me 2011 so it was like it, it was the beginning of me shifting out of cooking every day having a raging callus right here from holding a knife it's called a chef's callus from holding a knife on whatever hand that you chop with to no longer having that callus and being aware of that I mean like wow I'm losing my callus right there um, because my time was now in pitching meetings and R&D and development and creative brainstorming and whiteboarding and so the pen the computer became the, the tool of trade and so and then of course I had my injury which sidelined everything so right now um, eight years later I'm getting back to cooking because I'm waking up. I'm 36 and a lot of people say, oh, and you're like super young, you know, but I'm shifting gears a little bit and saying, I'm forgetting, I have forgotten how to cook compared to how I used to cook. You know, um, I have forgotten what combinations of flavors go well together, what method driven practices yield what results in the kitchen through technique you know i've watched an industry continue and it's not going to stop for me so what i'm doing now is i feel like i'm really investing time energy and intention to hone that edge again to get that callus back a little bit um to double down on the investment of so much of my life prior but i'm also tweaking my focus it's not so that i can be a restaurant chef and have a restaurant, you know, in five different corners of the world, you know, have a celebrity chef restaurant in LA, Hong Kong, Paris, wherever else. My focus is because I feel like when it comes to food, there's a real missing key that I've never truly been taught, nor have I put the time into investing. And that's, I can make you a mean eggs Benedict. I can make it mean X, Y, and Z. I mean, I did that professionally for so long, but there's a big missing link. And the link is, is I always had the food brought to me or I ordered it and it showed up harvested, right? So there's a nine month, 10 month, 12 month story, maybe even longer uh, prior to when I receive the beautiful truffle or whatever it is, the apple, and I get to cook it for you or Queen of England or anyone else. The story of how that apple came about, how that truffle was born, how that fish grew from a smolt to the trout, you know, mm -hmm. that's what I'm really psyched and fired up about. And so, you know, with the garden here on my property, so, you know, I'm investing, that's five years of, of working on just growing soil, just turning subdivision, cobble, dirt, dust, rock into real rich, nutritious, nutrient rich soil to then grow an apple that one day I'll get to pump a recipe out for someone 
but I guess so for me, I'm entering a really fun part of my life, which is I'm trying to get back into cooking, but I'm getting back into cooking via growing. Like I want to complete that circle of how food comes to the table. So you see that as separate to the actual craft of cooking eggs. It's both. It's like, it's kind of like saying, yeah, I want to not forget how to poach the most perfect egg or create a beautiful emulsion and hold it so it doesn't break. I could still do that right now with my eyes closed, but there's definite practices in the kitchen that I've forgotten or that I have not worked that muscle enough, yeah. but it's all interest-based. Like if there's no passion, if there's no true fire behind it, I will fall so far off the radar of staying on track with a project yep. that it's not even worth doing anymore. And I realize that my passion for food has switched conversations from not being the chef that can whip up the most amazing, there you go, to like, I just don't have a passion for crushing 20 hour days to build the restaurant or build the most amazing dishes for everyone night after night after night. I think I, but the passion is very much, I want to tell a story about how food is grown, how it's harvested, and then tied in to the 15 years that I've already learned, which is then how to cook it. And that passion, this new like approach into food is going to have me cooking more. So it'll still sharpen that old edge, right? So it's, it's like just adding a new tool to the tool belt, I guess. Mm -hmm. I, love that. I think if Jen and I looked at each other and said, all right, so what is the 10, 20 year goal for AIG, Active Ingredient Group? To continue to do positive work that fans our fires so that we continue to just pays us well, fulfills us in any other which way. Anyone that we're working with, whether it's our lawyer or a counsel or a PA, like it fuels the whole food chain up and down, you know? And I think that's always been, you know, the kitchen, the studio kitchen, we were working in all day today. Um, even in that hiring friends to work in their skills to do the masonry, to do the woodwork, to do the iron work. I think it's always been about how, how do you rise to the occasion and bring others with you and also be brought by others? Like how does everyone come up together? That's the goal. The ultimate goal for me and all of the businesses is that all ships rise. So what, what would you say is the company culture? Our company culture? We call ourselves ankle biters. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, organic ketchup. It's like a $750 million a year industry. We don't want 700, I don't think we want or need $750 million of that industry. We don't need the entire share of that industry. But as an ankle biter, well, we can take a snack at 100, at 150, 200, 5 million, whatever it is. We can take a bite out of that and know that we're starting to have a little share in changing the tide or being a part of a part of a movement that's already happening with or without us, you know? That's, I think, the culture in the company is, all right, how can we make effect? How can we make, how can we make impact? How can we make change with this brand? And the cool thing about it is that I've been talking about impact all day long. So it's not just me, it's anyone working with our brand is also just hungry for life. I mean, that's where the title for that show came from. It's not really about food. It's about being hungry for life. It's about the show, like the title for the original show, Active Ingredient. I feel like 
we are the active ingredient in this world like when we are fully stimulated when we're fully activated and so the culture is a group of a group of activated individuals going after a common focus so Ray Dalio wrote a very successful book at the, the end of last year called Principles. Um, and in Principles, he talks a lot about this idea of compound investment. Mm. The reason why top performers are top performers is not because they just do the 20 hours on the yacht, but because they engage in compound investment, which he defines as kind of like reading, writing, meditating, reflecting, uh, sharpening a knife. I guess, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Making dishes, making sure shit's ready to go for the next day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as I'm hearing you speak, uh, I see synergies to that. And I think what Ray talks a lot about is widening your aperture. So we're showing you on some very nice cameras right now. But really, he says, as a young person, your goal should be to widen that aperture mm-hmm. and then engage in that compound investment so you can take 2% performance to 4, to 8, to 16, to 32, to 64. Totally. Is that what you're engaging in right now? Is that, is that where you're at? Every experience of our lives to right now, you and I speaking in my kitchen, right. is an attribute, an asset that we can use that could become a compound investment on who we become. If we recognize that those experiences are crucial, vital, valuable, priceless, and not drudgery, pain in the ass, oh, my worst day ever, ouch yep oh right like so it's perspective it's how we see every moment on earth every second we have don't get me wrong i may not stay in that super like kung fu master frame of mind all the time but i strive to always turn life's experience into a compound investment of who i want to be Mm -hmm. right so that when that moment in time happens where every single ounce of me needs to rally to seize the day, to kick some ass, to impress, impress the moment, whatever it is. Yeah. Everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly is all coming into, like, into that mojo moment, right? Rather than being like, oh, now it's a shitty day. I'm going to put that in the shitty day category. What a bunch of, like, imagine that. There's so much lost time on your hands. This is this vacant void that ends up holding you back, I think. Yeah. So to the reference of that book, yeah, I think life has the opportunity, like every moment has the opportunity to be a compound investment on who you want to become. It's about perspective. Yeah. yeah. What's the message that the world needs that Montana Mex gives? The message is that, a, that the condiment category can actually be a clean healthier responsible part of how you eat and ergo contribute to your overall happiness your overall way of life like it can be a contributing factor to i hope a life that most want to live anyway which is to smile to feel good to feel valued to eat tasty dream tasty things and to be surrounded by high value and quality you know so from the packaging to the messaging to the actual organic products inside the glass or tin container like the thought that's gone into every detail of it is orchestrated and designed to make the user experience a very happy like 
oh, that felt good, like a good experience. Yeah. Yeah. And why are you guys on that journey? Um, because I think maybe a lot of people think you're a very successful chef, you have this documentary. Oh, the business part must be easy, right? So where are you guys on that journey? And we're just starting. Yeah, we're just, we're, it's, it's, we are just starting. If you think about it this way, it's like we, we have also shifted as a company. You know, the, the original concept as a company um, was to be a farmer's market brand that also had a walk-in retail establishment that saw like quick cash in hand type traffic, right? Uh, and sold out the front door. And in my injury, we as a group retooled the business to be a national food brand with shelf-stable products versus um, perishable products refrigerated. So the entire business almost like shifted 180, really. The morals stayed the same, the ethos stayed the same, the um, intent to put really a good for you product that was honest and transparent and not hiding any anything bad for you in the label. To put that in front of the consumer, that's always been our goal, but the actual way that we're going to get to the consumer used to be guacamole and salsa, now it's ketchup, a barbecue sauce, an organic habanero sauce, a line of seasonings, and an oil. So the whole lineup has even changed, you know, but the message has stayed the same. So I think this year, uh, you know, on our fourth round of angel investment and uh, our first real sales cycle and year with a complete team, mm -hmm. this is our first year really going to market. So... Yeah, we're just starting, truly. What is this is the first year go to market up by Grand, grand Zero. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's interesting, it's not Grand Zero, right? So, like, it's the, it's the natural migration of this company. I mean, we sold on Home Shopping Network for two and a half years. Okay. Home Shopping Network has a huge viewer base. So, when you say Ground Zero, what, I'm a, what I would reply with is that this is the first year where the company, I think, knows its identity knows what it represents, knows who its consumers are, knows the message, the market, and is truly going after it. What that looks like, it's a lot of, it's a lot of giveaway. It's a lot of like, yeah, well, it's a lot of money out the door. It's a lot of product out the door. Um, that's the grocery business. And grocery is not 100% of our company, of our focus, but it is a core part of our business model is to go after the grocery world. And uh, so right now it's a lot of real direct strategic get it out there, mm -hmm. waiting for recurring sales, and hopeful to experience two times growth this year. You know, maybe plus, we'll see. Brad, I say grand zero because it's almost like, now that you have the identity, now you have that go-to-market strategy, now you have that full team, you know, it's almost like, yeah, you're warming up, you've done reps, but shit, now you're ready to really kick it. So now, so yeah, so now it's performing. And quite honestly, it's it's a it's a very uh, exciting, and it's a very exciting, but what I would call a finite year. It's like okay, we have tweaked, we have had enough time, yep. enough energy to tweak the product, to tweak the message, to tweak the business, to be as strong and fit as we think it could be. Now let's put it in play. So now it's in play. If it doesn't perform. And we look back and we're able to assess that everyone on the team, that all points were covered and we did exactly what we were supposed to do every step of the way and it just didn't happen. Mm -hmm. The product just 
wasn't, the desire wasn't there. So this wasn't there, that wasn't there. That'll be a very sobering moment for Montana Max. We'll say like, all right, maybe I think, I think I'm happy to be quoted as saying this, that I, I believe you can push, you can push a rock up a hill all day long, as long as you want. But there probably is something to be said for if you get to the top of the hill and your rock is round and the hole in the top of the hill is square, it won't fit. And I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing to fail. I don't necessarily think that's the end of the world. Mm -hmm. As an investor to my, the other table of 22 angel investors, I don't want to lose anyone's money or time here. I mean, even the founders, you know, ton of sweat equity, four or five, six years, sleepless nights into this, no one wants to lose, but we believe we've developed something that is going to do well. It's the first year where it's really going to have its best shot at doing well. If by all means it does not do well, it'll be a sobering time because then it will be a very real conversation of, okay, maybe yet again, the entire business just has to shift or do we just put it to bed? You know? So what's the fire that keeps you going? Is it that fear? Is it, is it that, oh shit, this might not work out? Or is it something else? No, I, uh, I believe in it and committed. Yeah. I mean, why do you wake up in the morning? Why does anyone wake up in the morning? Because they believe, they believe that what they're going to do, what they're in the middle of doing, or what they're about to go do is what they want. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, um, Montana Max for me personally, I won't speak for Jen or Chris or Eugenio or Indra, but I started Montana Max. I was a co-founder and started the company with my partners because I truly believe in being an impactful messenger in while I'm here on earth in regards to how we eat, what we eat and I hope to leave a legacy behind me that is a laughter-based party train of millions of individuals that are experiencing more joy in life somehow via food, whether they're cooking with friends, cooking with family, gardening a little bit, hunting, fishing a little bit, foraging a little bit, just giving a little bit more credence to the $25 steak they're ordering, like a certain a certain value on a, a certain higher value on the food we eat. That's sort of the impact I want to have is I think, I mean, like if you think about it, I've been flipping burgers, metaphorically speaking for 21 years since I was 15. So I've been blistering my fingers and working with food for others which is a really insane thing to think about, you know, like to grab that piece of food and offer it to you, whether it's $500 plate of food, super stylized in the most expensive restaurant in the world or Shake Shack in an airport and it's 825. Like that food still represents something that will either kill you or cure you. It's either gonna power you on for your next step in life or it's gonna totally put you in the dirt. Like we can be poisoned as easy as we can be powered, right? via food and we don't need to trip out on that for a long period of time. But I think for me at some point in my life, maybe in my mid twenties, I recognize that, gosh, food is so blase for so many people. 
and yet it's one of our most vital things. And yes, there are satellites of individuals, whether they're in government and legislation, they're in the business world, or they're in these niche sort of boutique person-on-person communities where there's cooking clubs and you know gourmet, gourmands that love to go out to eat. Mm-hmm. But how many people truly like really think about the fact that food is everything? Like food, water, shelter, procreation, everything. Mm-hmm. And yet it's like one of those things where you just like order it and like, ah, oh, sucks and you throw it out. You know, it's like. So is your, what is your legacy then? Is, is your legacy joy in food? Is that what it is? And how do you measure that if it is? The last question you had, how do you measure that? Measured, probably measured differently in, in, in everybody, but I would say that objectively, it's probably measured through the community and the voices of others around you. Like as you hear it come back to you, you hear the same person tell you, or if you hear it from a different person, the same message a million times over, you know, it's coming from all these different angles. My nose must be huge because everyone's telling me that or whatever it is, you know, like, hey, hey, Eduardo, your work here, your message here is inspiring, is uplifting, has caused me to wake up early, cook a meal for my kids. Mm-hmm. Like best message I got in January. Hey, Eduardo, I watched your film X, Y, and Z. I woke up early. I went to the gym. I came home. I cooked a meal for my little girls before I went to work. That's like priceless stuff. And is that what is that what keeps that fire burning in you? Is this shit like that? So no, I think that's a slippery slope, right? I think it would probably be a fallacy of some kind to say like, yes, that's what keeps me going is the fact that I'm leaving, like building a legacy. I don't know. Like, I think that's what we're supposed to do. So I think what keeps me going is being passionate about being the best version of myself. Mm -hmm. And I think the best version of myself is someone who's not just a dreamer, but is a dreamer but is also a doer and is also a designer and is also now in my twenties and my teens, I would be pushing on you like Cornelius, like you gotta go do this with me, gotta go do this with me. Like, why aren't you doing this with me? I would think that what works for me should work for you. Mm-hmm. And so now it's, it's less, less of me trying to push my beliefs and my ideals on other people. But I believe that the real value is in just sharing who I believe myself to be and keeping a real stringent code of checks and balances. Like, am I being an asshole? Am I being totalitarian? Am I dictating? Am I uh, totally off center here? Or is what it, are my actions falling into sort of right reason, right motive, right cause? Like, am I staying truly in line with this person that I want to be? That's what keeps me going, I think, is that every day waking up and saying, all right, who am I going to be today? What am I going to design? Who, you know, who will I become? The hundred emails come in. Am I going to respond to them? Am I not going to respond to them? Which ones am I going to say yes or no to? That's a really powerful thing. Would you say you're getting paid to be yourself? Yeah, big time. 
It's like a dream job. Yeah. Is yeah. Being 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 paid by my company or being paid by either of my companies to continue doing the things that I love to do yeah. and killing two birds with one stone, fueling my own hopeful, um, responsible growth as a person, as a husband-to-be, as maybe a dad, um, while at the same time still allowing myself to organically develop in the way that I like I want to become as a gray-haired, wrinkled old dude. It's a pretty dream deal. So I think a lot of young people maybe watching this um, are maybe whitewashed from my perspective of the narrative of you've got to grow up in the valley, you've got to go to a great school, you've got to raise 50 million. I think they're whitewashed about those things because ultimately I think we hear mostly about that and those entrepreneurial successes. You have a very different story and path into that world. Um, do you think that makes you um, a different entrepreneur? Do you think that makes you um, somebody who clearly has great perspective on life? And I guess what's your message to those that make you feel a bit like, oh, uh, shit, this seems to track. Mm. I don't have any of those things. Yeah. Um, I think the message would be that in any given scenario, the greatest mistake we can make is to take the face value on anything. I think rather lay out the comparables, find the common denominators, circle up the common denominators and make that your 10 commandments. Like your approach versus my approach could be and most likely will be wildly different in regards to where you live, what you eat, what you do, how you recreate, how you structure who Cornelius is. Yet there's going to be a fundamental code of common denominators that are probably the same as mine. Find the truth in the equation. understand your goal truly understand your message understand your market understand what you're trying to actually sell or share to others um are you doing the work are you following through are you investing on growth are you growing like keep yourself honest those code of like that code mm -hmm. is no different than what Steve Jobs did, than what Einstein did, than what you or I will do. I think to, and yet, how one gets there, how one finds fulfillment, yeah. If you want to be a best 30 under 30 chef in a hot city in the world and you live in Bozeman, Montana, move immediately from Bozeman, Montana, right? Get to a hot city of the world. Start working, start researching, understand what those chefs are doing, right? And or, and then do that from the age of 18 all the way to 24, 25, 26. Understand how the 1,000 chefs before you did it, and if it took them four years, if it took a, right? Then if you know that Bozeman, Montana is an up and coming place, put your target and be like, oh, in 2020, 
it's going to have the demographic, it's going to have the economic growth, it's going to have all of the other factors that must be present so that that rock you're pushing up the hill fits in the hole, right? Like, if it's not present, you can move back being the hottest chef there ever was, but it it still never work if you don't have all the other factors, right? So yeah, you want to be the hottest chef in the world and those are your goals? Go put yourself in a position to win. You can dream and act on your own all day long in Bozeman, but if you're just in the wrong environment, it'll, you'll never grow the product you want, you know? But I think it's the code of conduct that is not dissimilar between great achievers. Let's talk about hot cities and opportunities. Um, obviously you kind of shared over the last 24 hours, you know, your inbox is full, opportunities are coming through the door. Um, you've always got a phenomenal brand, you're an excellent chef, an incredible guy. So a lot of people knocking at your proverbial and physical door, probably asking to be involved and to work with you. How do you retain that focus and, and how do you make sure you engage in, in opportunities that are still rich, even when maybe the, the commercial side may not be as strong? Yeah, uh, well, at the moment, um, at the moment, I, <laughs> I let a lot of that opportunity slip, which is unfortunate. Um, but I've prioritized, God, I, I have, I think I already mentioned this, but I, I have prioritized growing a little bit less and spending more time sharpening that knife right now, which is me, um, before I continue sort of on the war path of growth. And, you know, I feel like I've just been, I was wearing my blade down thin, just running myself dull and ragged, going after work and progress. So right now I do my best to be myself and to be respectful of the interests. So to respond, to say thank you, um, to decline politely and truly only take the work that I believe helps me continue to sharpen my knife. So it either geographically keeps me here local, so the work will come to me, or the work adds to what I'm doing. It's some, you know, the work puts me in a position to continue working on the skill sets I wanna be working on, the education I wanna be having right now, uh, and it doesn't detract and take me away. Like mm. the party here, the glitz and glam there, yeah. for right or wrong, just doesn't have the same appeal as it would've right. however many years ago. You know, and for a lot of young people, what they're focused on is engaging in the work that pays the bills. Yeah. So how do you how do you kind of compensate there or couple that? Yeah, because you have to, because you have to, right? Um, so for me, I'm grateful that I'm still living off a certain amount of savings. So like yachting for ten years, working with no mortgage, no bills. You know, got my student loans paid off. Um, I'm grateful to have 10 years of like full-time, very little vacation, hard work, salaried work under my belt. Um, I'm grateful to have invested that the right way. Um, and through other contributing factors that play, um, you know, I'm in a position to focus on those dreams and goals, but that's at 36. And I'll tell you honestly that like, I still, I don't, I still financially am not where I want to be. I very much am digging into savings often. Whereas for me, it needs to be the other way around is you're stacking savings and you're earning 
to cover your burn. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes you need to just be in an income generating time of your life, but there's a very high price tag and there is a high value to um, so many other aspects of our human existence and our day-to-day life that really don't immediately have a financial return attached to them, right? So it's, I think it's very wise to recognize that. Like how many books are out there that say, hey, go meditate or do yoga or work on your exercise or fitness or otherwise you're gonna be in a piss poor position to go iron. But um, yeah, there's, there's definitely crunch times where you just have to knuckle down and find the gigs, bring the bread in. And why, but you would say you're, you're happy dipping out those savings. And is that just because you've accepted, hey, this is my shelf and lifetime. And this is what I'm about. Yeah. It's in, I'm in the investment phase of myself now. Absolutely. Just like any business, you know, there's times when you need to burn and there's times when you're going to recoup, you know? Yeah. I think I'm, I am, I think there, I think it's important to note that in the stereotypical version of the word entrepreneur, there's many different faces of an entrepreneur and there's many different types of entrepreneurs. Um, I would say that I fall under a colorful category that we all beat to the tune of our own drum for the large part. We seem to be fairly extravagant in just how we go about living life, Mm -hmm. you know, whether that's just kind of, we feel like we want to live large in so many different ways and express ourselves. Um, It's interesting to me that like money, finance, dollar seems so attached, like hip to hip to the word entrepreneur. Like, and maybe I'd love your perspective on it. Maybe that's just my, maybe that's sort of ignorance on my part, or maybe I'm just seeing it wrong. But I think an entrepreneur is someone who believes in something so much that they will be the most creative person in the room working towards that goal, that aim, that end, that there's really the word sacrifice is not really existent. It's just, I believe in this and I am excited, passionate about finding a solution to this, about making this a reality. And that I think is the core. You tell me, is there a stereotype that an entrepreneur is someone driven by dollar signs? Or is that just maybe fabricated in my mind? Everything falls.